right, so turn your Bibles with me to 1 Samuel, chapter 28. First Samuel chapter 28. Now, <clears throat> fun, fun chapter. It's interesting. Um, the witch of Endor, this chapter is about. And I very nearly didn't preach on this chapter. I nearly skipped it. Um, but I believe through a lot of prayer and study, I think it's, it's, it's right to preach on it. Um, and I don't have all the answers. I don't fully understand everything that goes on in this passage. But one thing that sort of became clear to me from from studying this passage is there are some things in this passage that are omitted from this chapter. Some things that we don't read about, some things that we don't get told about, which leaves some questions in my mind at least anyway. But through studying this out, I believe that that's for a purpose. Um, this chapter deals a lot with the spiritual realm and we know that the spiritual realm is a very real thing which we will look a little bit at today. Um, but the spiritual realm is not for us to meddle with. It's not for us to fully understand, it's not for us to know about. The spiritual realm is something that God has um, created, God knows about, um, the fallen angels, the angels that still follow God, all this, but it's not for us to meddle with. It's not for us to fully understand and know about. So if I leave you with some questions at the end of this that aren't answered, um, it's because it's not in the Word of God. So, uh, But we'll have a look at this chapter today. David's already read for us um, the start of this, so we're just going to open up in a word of prayer before we get started. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day, Lord, and we thank you um, so much for your word and so many uh, wonderful truths in your word that we can uh, read and learn about. Lord, we do pray as we study out this chapter here today of where I'm up to in 1 Samuel, that, Lord, you would just give me wisdom. Help me, Lord, to present your word simply and clearly. And, Lord, may, um, even though it's um, sometimes a bit complicated, Lord, I pray that you would just help us to just um, take away something from what we can learn and um, apply to our lives. May it just be a challenge to us that we can grow closer to you in our daily walk. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, our God is a merciful God, a very merciful God. We deserve death. We know this. We deserve death as sinners. We're wretched sinners. But God, in his mercy, he saved us. And once we are saved, Despite knowing everything that God has done for us, we still sin because of our But praise God, in his mercy, he forgives us of our sin. He forgave us of our sin when we got saved, when we asked him to save us from our sin. He forgave us of our sin. And as we go in our spiritual life, when we commit sins after this point, God is a merciful God and he forgives us of that sin. But there is a condition to this. Before God can forgive us for our sin once we are saved and before he could forgive us for our sin to save us, we need to do something first. We need to confess our sins. 1 John 1.9, 1, I'm sure we all know, it says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God will forgive us. But at the very start of that verse, it says if, if we confess our sin. If, that's a condition for forgiveness. We need to first confess our sin to God. If we don't confess our sin to God, God cannot forgive us of it. And the Bible has a very stern warning for us if we do not confess our sin to God and instead we live in it. 
In Psalm chapter 66, verse 18, it says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. This is talking about if we willingly live in sin and we do not confess it to God, there will come a point in our life where God will no longer hear us. He will no longer answer our prayers. Our fellowship with him will be broken. And brethren, eventually, God's mercy will come to an end and it will turn into judgment. This is a very real warning from God. And in this chapter, we see an example of this happening. And this, I believe this chapter is included in the word of as a very real warning to us of what can happen if we live in unconfessed sin. Unconfessed sin can destroy our lives. And in this chapter, we're going to see how Saul found himself in this very same situation and then how also he wrongly dealt with it. So first of all, we see the desperate situation of Saul, the desperate situation. David writes verses 3 to 6. Now, I haven't started at verses 1 and 2 in chapter 28 because this really ties on from the previous chapter, which we looked at last time, where David has fled to the Philistines and um, the Philistines are now gathering to go to war against Israel and David is mixed up in the wrong crowd here and he's actually going to go and fight with the Philistines against Israel. A whole other story, a whole other message which we'll come back to after this chapter, next time I preach. So we've skipped those first two verses and now we're up to verse 3 and I'll just read it again. It says, we'll just read down to verse 6, it says, Now Samuel was dead and all Israel had lamented him and buried him in Ramah, even, his own city, even in his own city. And Saul had put away those who had familiar spirits and the wizards out of the land. And the Philistines gathered themselves together and came and pitched in Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel together and they pitched in Gilboa. And when Saul saw the host of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart greatly trembled. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not, neither by dreams, nor by Urim, nor by prophets. Now, for some time now, we've been following the lives of David and Saul throughout 1 Samuel. And Saul, he began his life when we first read him about a, a humble nobody who was chosen to be the king of Israel. And when he started his reign as king of Israel, he started his reign quite well. He started his reign and the Lord was with him. He listened to and took heed to the advice of the prophet Samuel. He submitted to the will of the Lord. But before long... He became proud. He began trusting in himself instead of God. He began to willfully disobey the will of God. Now, one of the first things that Saul did was Saul made a sacrifice that he knew only Samuel was permitted to make. He then caused his whole, whole he foolishly caused his whole army to sin when he forbid them from eating during battle or before battle. He caught, um, he knowingly disobeyed a direct commandment from God when he spared the king of Amalek and left the um, cattle and the sheep and the oxen, things like that alive, he spared them. God told him to go and utterly destroy Amalek and leave no one and nothing alive. He, he kept the king alive, took him back and kept some of the livestock, um, killed the bad livestock, kept all the good stuff. So he was disobeying God time and time again. And then the whole pursuit of David, he knew Saul knew, and we've seen this throughout the times I've been preaching, he knew that David was the chosen king of Israel after him. Yet, in his uh, wickedness, he pursued David and tried to kill him time and time again. And we learned last time, that, uh, or the time before, that Saul was pursuing David for something around about eight or so years, possibly more. This is how long Saul has been living in direct disobedience to God 
knowingly. He was living in his sin and Saul never once confessed his sin to God, never turned away from it. You know, because of Saul's wickedness and his willful, dis willful disobedience, God had taken the kingdom away from him and his sons. Have a look in chapter 15 back in 1 Samuel. Chapter 15, verse 28. Chapter 8, verse 28 says, And Samuel said unto him, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. So neither Saul was going to continue as Israel, neither nor his sons were going to, going to be the king of Israel after him either. God had taken it off him and given it to someone better than him because of his sin. So Saul was told the kingdom be taken away from him and given to someone else. And at that time, Saul should have turned to the Lord in repentance. He should have turned from his wickedness, turned from his sin and confessed it to God like we read in the introduction. Confess our sins to God, he will forgive us. He should have confessed his sins to God then and repented from them. But instead, he, he continued even, even further into his disobedience with his obsession to kill David. And Saul's decisions in life led him to the desperate situation that he found himself here in chapter 28. You know, verse 3 that we read sets the scene for us. We read at the start of that one, now Samuel was dead. Now this didn't happen right now. This actually happened in back in chapter 25, which we already looked at. But mentioning it here again simply reminds us of this fact to set up the rest of this chapter. It reminds us that Samuel is indeed dead. And he has been dead for some time because later on in this chapter, Saul's going to ask the witch of Endor to summon Samuel from the dead. So we've got to get a bit of context here that Samuel truly is dead and he has been for some time now. But it also reminds us of the lack of spiritual leadership in Israel at this time. Samuel was the only guidance, really, that Saul would even remotely listen to. Samuel was the prophet that would come and rebuke Saul when he was living in sin. Most of the time, Saul didn't really take heed to his word, but there was spiritual leadership there. So now this sets the scene for us. Samuel's dead. There's a lack of spiritual leadership in the land. And also in verse 3, we read, um, at the end of verse 3, we'll just read verse 3. Now Samuel's dead, and all Israel lamented him and buried him in Ramah, even his own city. And Saul had put away those that had familiar spirits and the wizards out of the land. So this sets the rest of the scene for us. Saul had put away out of the land of Israel all those that had familiar spirits, which means um, witches, sorcerers, those who uh, practice occultic acts, um, and the wizards. He'd put them all away out of the land. This was actually something that Saul did good. This was actually a right thing that he did. We don't know when it happened. Don't know whether this was recently. I believe it was probably at the start of his reign when he was still under the influence of, day of um, Samuel and God. I believe it happened way back then. But at some point, he had removed these, which was a direct command from God, which we'll look at a bit later. God commanded the Israelites this many times in the Old Testament. We'll, we'll find that out a bit later. You know, so this sets the scene for us. We've got the scene set. Samuel's dead. There's a lack of spiritual leadership. And at some point, Saul banished all those that sought after familiar spirits from the land. So, but now we see Samuel, Saul's desperate situation. There's two parts to this. The first is the advancement of the Philistines. Have a look with me again in verses 4 to 5. It says, And the Philistines gathered themselves together and came and pitched in Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel together and they pitched in Gilboa. And when Saul saw the host of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart greatly trembled. 
Now the Philistines gathered themselves together and camped at a place called Shunem. Um, and this shows that the Israelites were aggressively attacking, sorry, the Philistines were aggressively attacking the Israelites. Now where Shunem is, if you're kind of familiar with your, your Bible maps of Israel and things, the Philistines were on the, that's my west, that's your east, but they're on the west coast right near the, um, the sea there. Um, and Israel to, was to the east of them, sort of stretching down and over to the Jordan River and things. The Philistines normally attacked either from the east or from the south, um, sorry, the west, either from the west or from the southwest into Israel. This time, where Shunem is, is right up near the Sea of Galilee, all the way up the top, very far into Israel territory. And the Philistines had gone up the coast, cut across into the Israel's ter- territory, and now they were heading back down. They were going to be attacking from the north and they'd making their way deep into Israel's territory. And they were pitched at this place called Shunem, which was on the northern side of the Valley of Jezreel. And the Israelites, they camped, we read, in Gilboa. And Gilboa was a mountain which was on the other side of the Valley of Jezreel. So right up the top, just to the southwest of the Sea of Galilee, is where Shunem is and they're on the northern side of the Valley of Jezreel and the Israelites are on Mount Gilboa which is on the southern side of the Valley of Jezreel. Now the point of this is that both armies could see each other very clearly. Both were camped on either side of this valley so they had a direct line of sight to each other. They could see spread across the opposite mountainside how big their enemy was and Saul saw that. Saul saw how big the Philistine army was and it says that Saul, that Saul gathered all Israel together. He gathered everyone that he had, everyone that he had to fight for and was gathered together in the mountain of Gilboa looking at the Philistine army and it wasn't big enough. The Israelite army was not big enough compared to the Philistines and Saul was terrified. That's what we read in verse 5, when Saul saw the host of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart greatly trembled. Now, previously, attacks on Israel hadn't really bothered Saul. He used to be a bit of a courageous man, but that was at a time when the Lord was with him and the Lord was fighting for Israel. So this is the first of Samuel's desperate situation, the advancement of the Philistines. The second part of his desperate situation is that God would not answer him. When Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid and he sought the Lord. Now, normally, we would think, yes, Saul is seeking God, he's doing the right thing, he's going to God for help. But that's not the case here, there's a problem. See, the Lord does not answer him, not by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Now, why didn't God answer him? Because like we saw in the introduction, Saul was living in sin. Psalm 66, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Saul is living in sin at this time and He has done and is continuing to willfully disobey the will of God. If he had come to God in repentance here and confessed his sin to God and asked him for help and repented from his sin, then God would have answered him. But he doesn't do this. Instead, when he comes to God, he doesn't ask ask God for forgiveness. He doesn't repent for his sin. He just God to tell him what to do. How do we know this? Drop down to verse 15 in chapter 28. Verse 15, this is when Samuel, when Saul is talking to um, Samuel, which we'll get to. And Samuel said to Saul, why hast thou disquieted me to bring me up? And Saul answered, I am all distressed for the Philistines make war against me and God is departed from me and answereth me no more, neither by prophet nor by dream. 
my dreams. Therefore, I have called thee that thou mayest make known unto me what I shall do. Saul is not asking for God for forgiveness here. He's not asking God um, to um, forgive him of his sin and repenting from his sin. He just wants God to tell him what to do. He has no regard for his sin. He just wants to God whenever he wants and say, yeah, God, I'm in a bit of a sticky situation here. What should I do? What are you going to do for me? It's the same as we see in TV shows and, and, and you hear about in the world. People who have no regard for God, no regard for um, spiritual things in life, and then all of a sudden when they're in a desperate situation, you see them pray to the Lord, but it's not in forgiveness. It's not in repentance. It's, oh, I'm in trouble. God, help me. That's not how God works. God does not work like that. If we are willfully living in sin, refuse to confess it, God will not answer our prayers. Saul was so entangled in his sin that God refused to hear him and speak to him. And that is a very stern warning for all of us believers of what will happen if we knowingly do not confess our sins to God. Now, this doesn't mean that if we have a sins that we've um, unknowingly committed, that we've forgotten to confess them to God, things like that. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about Saul willfully living in direct disobedience to God for not just a week, not a day, not... not a year not three years years and years probably eight nine ten eleven years who knows how long Saul has been living in direct disobedience to God and he knew it he was told by the prophet Samuel he was warned by God later he knew he was in direct God and never once did he repent from his sin to God this is what we're talking about when the Lord will not hear us our God is a merciful God he's given Saul years and years of mercy but now he's, God's mercy is turning into wrath and he is not listening to Saul. We need to make sure that we keep a short account with God. We need to confess our sins, not every now and then, not once we think about it once in a while. We need to confess our sins to God daily. When they happen, when we sin, confess it to God. Don't let our sins go unconfessed. Unconfessed sins in our life will just cause problems. We need to keep a short account with God. So that was the desperate situation that we saw Saul in. And now we see Saul's wrong solution. Let's read verses 7 to 11. Then Saul said unto his servant, Seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, Behold, there is a woman that hath a familiar spirit at Endor. And Saul disguised himself and put on other raiments. And he went and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night. And he said, I pray thee, divine unto me by the familiar spirit, and bring me up, bring, bring me him up, whom I shall name unto thee. And the woman said unto him, Behold, thou knowest what Saul hath done, how he hath cut off those that have familiar spirits and wizards out of the land. Wherefore then layest thou a snare for my life to cause me to die? And Saul swear to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord liveth, there shall no punishment happen to thee for this thing. Then said the woman, Who shall I bring up unto thee? And he said, bring me up Samuel. So instead of repenting and turning from his sin, Saul falls further into it. Instead of following God, he now delves into the ways of Satan. Saul asks his servants to find him someone who has a familiar spirit, a witch. You know, today this type of person would be called a medium. Someone who dabbles with occultism who claims to be able to contact the dead, someone who performs seances, and even possibly someone who's demon-possessed. You know, Saul knew that going to a witch was wicked. 
He knew it was wrong. We read at the start of this chapter that Saul himself had removed these type of people from the land. But yet here again, he willfully disobeys God and seeks one out for advice. You know, God was quite clear in the law to Israel that they would have nothing to do with such people. Let's have a look at a few passages that show us just how much God hates this type of practice. Have a look in Exodus chapter 22 with me. And we'll soon get a pretty clear picture of how much God hates witchcraft and all the sorts that go with it. Exodus 22 verse 18, very short verse. Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. Pretty self-explanatory there, isn't it? God says that witches should not even be allowed to live. Have a look over in Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19. And verse 31 says, Regard not them that have familiar spirits, neither seek after wizards to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Direct commandment from God not to have anything to do with them or to seek after them. He says, He is the Lord their God. Leviticus chapter 20, just straight over. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 6 says, And the soul turneth after such as have familiar spirits and after wizards. This is Saul. Saul turned after one. Um, and after wizards to go whoring after them. I will even set my face against that soul and cut him off from among his people. It's exactly what Saul did. Have a look in verse 27 in, in the same chapter. Leviticus 20 verse 27 says, A man also or woman that hath a familiar spirit or that is a wizard shall utterly be put to death. They shall stone them with stones. Their blood shall be upon them. Deuteronomy last one that we'll look at deuteronomy chapter 18 in deuteronomy chapter 18 and we'll read verses 9 to 12 and when thou art come into the land so when israel was to come into the land which the lord thy god giveth thee thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of those nations abominations these things are there shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or daughter to pass through the fire. That was a ritual associated with this type of stuff. Or that useth divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. For all that do those are an abomination unto the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord thy God shall both drive them out before thee pretty clear from these passages how much god hates witchcraft and such things it was very clear in his law about how wicked these practices were and that israel should have no part with them they shouldn't even suffer a witch to live this commandment goes for us too you know i don't expect any of us to go witches today I, I certainly pray and hope not but these things are still around today palm reading tarot cards ouija boards astronomy with the, the star signs and things like that. All these sort of things are modern examples of occultic acts of witchcraft. These things are dangerous links to demonic spirits, to fallen angels, even if used in fun. You know, like we said at the start, the spiritual realm is a very real thing and it is not to be taken lightly. Fallen angels following Lucifer seek to deceive and destroy God's creation. They can and they have possessed people that dabble in occultic acts. 
There's two parts of the spiritual realm. You've got the fallen angels who follow Satan. They solely just want to destroy and deceive God's creation. And these type of things are links to them. It's very dangerous stuff that people dabble with. There is, of course, the other side to the spiritual realm, the angels that serve God. And they are angels. We're told a bit about angels in the Bible and we can't fully understand everything to do with them. But we are told that they are sent from him to minister to us and help us, according to Hebrews 1. So they are around us. They are, sent, they, they are to protect us, according to Psalm 91. Hebrews 13 even tells us that some people have entertained angels unawares. The spiritual realm is a very real thing, believers. But we are not to dabble with it. Although it's fascinating, although it's interesting and it, it poses questions that we want answers to, we are not told a lot of things because we are not to get involved in it. We are not to meddle with the spiritual realm. And God made that very clear for his people. You know, and God also made it clear because when people do dabble with those sorts of things, you can be sure it's not a ministering spirit sent from God that's come to talk to these witches and wizards that practice these occultic acts. It's not a ministering spirit sent from God for these things. The people that they talk to, the spirits that they summon are demonic spirits following Satan. God doesn't use things like that. Now, I trust and pray that none of us ever dabble in this kind of wickedness. The spiritual realm is not for us. You know, despite knowing how much of an abomination it is to God, Saul still visited a witch for help. Saul's servants, they tell him of a lady that has a familiar spirit that lived in Endor. And this lady is commonly known as the witch of Endor. And she was a modern-day medium who claimed to be able to speak to the dead. So Saul disguised himself and comes to her by night. Um, he, he went in secrecy. And why in secrecy? Well, it's pretty self-explanatory. We already know that Saul banished the wizards and witches from the land. If this lady recognised that Saul was who he was, the king of Israel, then there's no way she would have helped him. She would have pretended, no, that's not me. I'm not the witch of Endor. You've got the wrong house. Be on your way. She wouldn't have helped him out because she knew the punishment that Saul had set in place and Saul had driven them out. So he couldn't let her know who he was. He went to her in secrecy. And we read that the lady was actually fearful of being caught in her acts. In verses 8 to 9, it says, And Saul disguised himself and put on other raiment, and he went to two men with him. And they came to the woman by night, and he said, I pray thee, divine unto me by the familiar spirit, and bring me up him whom I shall name unto thee. And the woman said unto him, Behold, Thou knowest what Saul hath done, how he hath cut off those that have familiar spirits and the wizards out of the land. Wherefore then lowest thou a snare for my life to cause me to die? This lady was afraid. She was afraid. She said when Saul came to her, she didn't know he was Saul. She thought he was a stranger. She said, why have you come here to ask me for help? Don't you know what Saul has done, how he cut off witches and wizards from the land? Have you come here to lay a trap for me so that I can be put to death so I can die? This lady was afraid for her life. See, even she knew that her witchcraft was wrong. Even this lady, who was a witch, knew that it was wrong. And she was afraid of getting caught. But Samuel, uh, but Saul, sorry, ignored how evil and wrong this was. And he promised to this lady that she would not be punished. And of all things, he swears this by the name of the Lord. In verse 10, And Saul swore to her by the name of the Lord saying, As the Lord liveth, there shall no punishment happen to thee for this thing. You know, this was the very last time that we read Saul use the name of the Lord. 
the very last time he used it. And he used it to promise to a witch that she would not be punished for what she was about to do. How sad it is to see how far this once great king has fallen because of his unconfessed sin. So with this promise from a man who was a stranger, the witch continues and asks who Saul wants to bring up from the dead. And Saul, like we read, asked for Samuel. Let's read then verses 12 to 19. It says, And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried with a loud voice, and the woman spake to Saul, saying, Why hast thou deceived me? For thou art Saul. And the king said unto her, Be not afraid, for what sawest thou? And the woman said unto him, I saw God ascending out of the earth. And he said unto her, What form is he of? And she said, An old man cometh up, and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel, and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed himself. And Samuel said to Saul, Why hast thou disquieted me to bring me up? And Saul answered, I am sore distressed, for the Philistines make war against me. And God is departed from me, and answereth me no more, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore have I called thee, that thou mayest make known unto me what I shall do. Then said Samuel, Wherefore then dost the Lord dost thou ask of me, seeing the Lord is departed from thee, and is become thine enemy? And the Lord hath done to him as he spake by me. For the Lord hath rent the kingdom out of thine hand and given it to thy neighbour David, um, thy neighbour even David, because thou obeyedest not the voice of the Lord, nor executest his fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore hath the Lord done this thing unto thee this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with thee into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow shalt thou and thy sons be with me. And the Lord shall also deliver the hosts of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Now, when the witch sees Samuel, she's terrified. We read that in verse 12. It says, And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried with a loud voice. She was terrified. Now, why was this witch terrified? She was practicing witchcraft for a long time now, obviously. She would have seen um, spirits and things like that. She should be used to these type of things happening. But this time, for some reason, she is afraid. Even one reason for her fear at the end of this verse, she realized that the stranger that she is talking to is King Saul. So she's fearful for her life. But I do not believe this is the reason why she was so terrified and cried with a loud voice. I believe that the reason Saul's identity was revealed was not to fear, to scare her and things. I believe it was revealed to prove that this was not a fake performance on her behalf. That what was happening was actually real. And all of the commentators are in agreement here that the reason why she was so afraid is because what she experienced was totally unexpected. Now this means that either two things are possible. Either up until now this lady has been a fake. That everything's done with all her witchcraft and everything has just been a fake. Or more than likely and what I believe, people may disagree with me throughout this message, that's okay, you can have your own opinions. But what I believe is that this lady had up until now been dealing with demonic spirits. It says that she has a familiar spirit. Saul asked her to use her familiar spirit to bring up Samuel from the dead. So I believe that this lady up until this point has been dealing with demonic spirits. Maybe she was demon-possessed herself. But this spirit that she sees is different. This is something that she hadn't ever experienced before and it frightened her. We are told that this being or spirit that appears is Samuel. All right, let's read again verses 13 to 14. And the king said unto her, Be not afraid, for what sawest thou? He says, What did you see? And the woman said unto Samuel, I saw gods. Now that word God simply means spirit. 
as so I saw God, a spirit, ascending out of the earth. And he said unto her, What form is he of? And she said, in other words, what does he look like? And he said, An old man cometh, and he is covered with a mantle, and Saul perceived that it was Samuel. And he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed to him. Now Saul cannot see this spirit. Pose a bit of another question. Is Saul unable to spirit because unable to see it because it, it's in the lady's head, the witch's head, or maybe the spirit's only to her? Things like that, I'm not sure. But it possibly would be because Saul could be in a different room. It says in verse 21, And the woman came unto Saul and saw he was sore, sore troubled. This was straight after um, Saul and Samuel had talked to each other. So perhaps Saul was in a different room, which is why he cannot see the spirit and only this lady can. But she describes what the spirit looks like to Saul because he can't see it, for whatever the reason. And as she describes it, Saul perceives that it's Samuel because it looks like what he looked like. Now here comes the big question. Is this spirit really Samuel? Is it really Samuel's spirit that has come to this witch at Saul's request? Now there is a lot of debate about this, but I don't believe so. And I'll, we'll go to some passages and we'll see, but there could be three explanations for this. It could be a demonic spirit. It could be, well, it could be fake as well. That's the fourth idea. It could be a demonic spirit. It could be Samuel himself, or it could be a spirit from God. Have a look with me just over in 2 Samuel, chapter 12, verse 23. Might be a bit of a long sermon, sorry. <laughs> chapter 12, verse 23. It says, But now he is dead. This is uh, David talking about his son. But now he is dead. Wherefore should I fast? In other words, what, what can I do? Fasting won't do anything. Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return unto me. David says, I will go to him one day. When David gets to heaven, he'll go to be with his son, but his son cannot come back to him. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 14. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 14 says, They are dead, they shall not live. They are deceased, they shall not rise. Therefore hast thou visited and destroyed them and made all their memory to perish. This verse gives us the idea that once people are dead, they cannot live. And once they are deceased, they cannot rise. Have a look also in Luke. This is a pretty familiar story, but in Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. Um, we'll just begin reading verse 23. This is a parable, uh, the story, not parable, the story of the, um, have I got the right thing there? No, I don't. Um, the story of Lazarus. I've got the wrong passage there. The story of Lazarus. No, I don't. Oh, have I got, I'm reading the wrong one. Here we go. Yep, 23. In hell he lift up his eyes being in torments and seeth a Abraham far off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and to cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in, thou, in thy lifetime receivest thou uh, thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and thou art tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed. So they which would pass from hence to you 
cannot, neither can they pass to you, uh, to us, that would come from thence. And he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Now all these passages here give us a pretty clear indication that once we are dead, we are dead. That our spirits cannot come back, a witch certainly cannot bring our spirits back from the dead, um, and that we can't pass from the spiritual realm where our spirits go, whether that be hell or heaven, Abraham's bosom. We can't come back to visit the living. Now, like I said at the start, I don't have all the answers and I don't understand everything fully, but in saying this, did not Moses and Elijah appear on the mount with Christ? Well, yes, they did. But Elijah, he didn't die on earth, but Moses did. And that was a long time before he appeared with Christ. But I believe that was through the power of God. That was through the will of God. God wanted Moses and Elijah to be there. They were there. Can God, does God have power over life and death? Of course he does. Would God have power to bring back a spirit from the dead to visit the living if he so choose? Well, yes, he would. Our God is omnipotent. So at the will of God and through God's power, it would be possible to bring someone back from the dead to visit the living. But that's through God's will and through God's power. And I find it very hard to believe that God would allow a witch, a witch through the use of witchcraft, which is an abomination to him, to bring back Samuel's spirit at the request of a man who is so lost in his sin that God won't even talk to him and won't even hear him. And on top of this, Saul going to a witch would only have kindled God's wrath against Saul even further. So I find it very hard to believe that this is actually Samuel. Would it be possible for Samuel to come back if God wanted? Yes, but not at the hand of a witch and not at the request of a man so far gone in his sin that God won't even talk to him. So it can't be Samuel. And if it's not a demonic spirit and it's not Samuel's spirit, it must be a spirit from God. This is what I believe appears under Samuel, a spirit sent from God to deliver a message of God's fierce judgment. In the rest of these verses up to 19, we see the conversation that happened between Saul and the Spirit of God. And the Spirit asks Saul what he wants and he's, he, um, why he has summoned him. And Saul describes his problem. Saul says, The Philistines are at war with Israel and God will not answer him to tell him what to do. The Spirit replies to him in verse 16 to 19. It says, Then said Samuel, Wherefore, thou, there, wherefore then dost thou? Thou ask of me, saying, The Lord is departed from thee, and is become thine enemy. And the Lord hath done to him as he spake by me, for the Lord hath rent the kingdom out of thine hand, and given it to thy neighbour, even to David. And the Spirit says, Why are you asking Samuel for help? Samuel is a prophet of God, and God is departed from you and become your enemy. If God's not going to help you, then why should a prophet of God help you? And notice God still doesn't answer, Samuel's, answer Saul's question. God doesn't tell Saul what he should do. God is angry at Saul. And the Spirit goes on to explain the judgment for his continued disobedience. 
Just as Saul was warned, God has taken the kingdom off him and will give it to David because of his sin. And the Israelites would also be delivered into the hands of the Philistines. We read about the judgment that was going to happen in verse 19. Moreover, the Lord will deliver Israel with thee into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow shalt thou and thy sons be with me. And the Lord also shall deliver the hosts of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. You know, the, the Israelites, not only was Saul going to be punished, the kingdom taken off him and off his family, but the Israelites were going to be delivered into the hands of the Philistines. And on top of this, Saul's sons, along with him, would all die tomorrow. This was the judgment for his sin. The fierce wrath of God, the fierce judgment of God, from God for Saul's continued willful disobedience was now about to be poured out on him. And we get a scene here of how angry God is with Saul. When Saul goes to the witch because God would not talk to him, it seems that this is the final straw that brings the judgment upon Saul. Saul had got so entangled in disobedience and sin that he could no longer see right from wrong. He never once confessed his sins to God and as a result it brought fierce judgment upon him. You know, Saul's wrong solution to his problem was to consult a witch. A great wickedness in the eyes of God. The right solution, like we've been saying all along, would have been to repent from his sin, turn to God, confess it, but he didn't. We need to make sure that we don't make that same mistake. That we don't live in our sin and forget to confess it to God. We need to confess our sins to him and not willfully live in it. For if we do willfully live in sin one day, judgment will come. In verses 20 to 25, we'll quickly read this just as we close. It says, Then Saul fell straightway all along the earth and was sore afraid because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten no bread all the day nor all the night. And the woman came unto Saul and saw that he was sore troubled. And she said unto him, Behold, thy handmaid hath obeyed the voice and obey thy voice, and I have put my life in my hand and have hearkened unto thy words which thou speakest unto me. Now therefore I pray thee, hearken thou also unto the voice of thine handmaid, and let me set a morsel of bread before, the, before thee, and eat, that thou mayest have strength. And when thou goest on thy way, but, uh, thou goest on thy way. But he refused and said, I will not eat. But his servant together with the woman compelled him, and he hearkened unto, her vo unto their voice. So he arose from the earth and sat upon the bed. And the woman had a fat calf in the house, and she hasted and killed it, and took flour and kneaded it, and did bake unleavened bread thereof. And she brought it before Saul and before his servants, and they did eat. Then they rose up and went away that night. You know, after Saul's encounter with the Spirit, he was very distressed, afraid. He fell on the floor, and he had no strength to move. This was not just because he was hungry and he hadn't eaten. Saul had now realized where his life was at. He had now realized that his chances for mercy from God were at an end. God's mercy was coming to an end and was turning into judgment. God was merciful towards Saul for years and years when he was living in his disobedience. But now the judgment that he was told of years early was here and the wrath of Almighty God was about to be poured out on him, his family and Israel. And this fierce wrath of God was all too much Saul to bear may we never face the wrath of God like that may we never get so entangled in our sin that God has to pour his wrath like that out on us you know Saul did eventually eat in this 
at the end of the chapter after he was urged to and then we're told he's simply on his way still Saul did not repent for his sin and confess it to God was it too late for Saul to confess his sin now was it too late has God's mercy completely come to an end and there was no way of forgiveness for him of course not we won't go there and read it for the sake of time but in first kings 21 we read about the king ahab i'm sure we know he was a very wicked wicked king and then god tells of him the judgment that is about to come upon him a very fierce wrath very fierce judgment upon a wicked king and yet the wicked king rents his clothes he puts on sackcloth and ashes and he repents to god in his sin and then god says because this man hath turned to me in repentance I will not pour out this judgment on him. It will be saved till the next generation. A wicked king like Ahab, after God had told him what the judgment was that was coming, repented to God and God still gave him mercy. So was it too late for Saul to have mercy from God here? Of course not. It's never too late for God's mercy until we're dead. You know, how did Saul get to this position in his life? A bit of unconfessed pride led to disobedience. Unconfessed disobedience led to jealousy. Unconfessed jealousy turned to hatred. Unconfessed hatred turned to more disobedience. Until he got to the point where God would not hear him. Brethren, we need to confess our sins to God. Not every now and then, all the time. Keep a short account with God. Psalm 66, 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Let this passage be a warning to us all of the danger of unconfessed sin. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this passage, Lord. And there's a lot of things in this chapter that I don't fully understand. But Lord, I do understand the dangers of unconfessed sin. Lord, I pray that this would be something we can all take and apply to our lives, that Lord... As we go through our lives, we know that we're not perfect. You know that we're not perfect. You know that we will sin. But Lord, I pray you'd help us to remember that we need to confess our sins and not live in them. Otherwise, one day, Lord, your mercy will turn into judgment. I pray, Lord, that none of us get to that point where our prayers are not heard from you because of our unconfessed sin. Lord, I pray that you would bless the rest of this day. Keep us safe, Lord, and just help us to remember these truths. In Jesus' name, amen.